Welcome to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our websites are Catholicism.org and Reconquest.net. My email address, should you like to send me a brief uh, uh, email with a quick comment, suggestion, or question, is bam at Catholicism.org. That's bam at Catholicism.org. You can also find me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Gab, and SP3RN. Just search for Brother Andre Marie, and you should find me there. This evening's episode is episode number 391, Virtue is the Order of Love. Virtue is the order of love. Now, if I actually pull this off, as I hope to, what I'm going to accomplish in this program is going to be something of a metaphysical ascent from uh, man and man as perfected by the practice of virtue to um, something in the divine order of the cosmos, which will be touched upon briefly, uh, and then finally to something in the interior in the interior life of God, in the internal life of God himself, which uh, will help us to make sense of and put into a um, broader perspective what it is that St. Augustine meant and what the deeper sort of metaphysical substratum is of St. Augustine's utterance, which is the name of this program, Virtue is the Order of Love. Uh, it's translated variously, but the Latin is Virtus est ordo armaris, Virtue is the Order of Love. Uh, some people say virtue is ordered love. Um, some people say virtue is rightly ordered love. All that stuff is, um, all of that is, is accurate as far as trying to convey the, the, the meaning of St. Augustine. Obviously, it's not disordered love. It's not love that's in a bad order. It's love that is properly or rightly ordered. So that translation is also good. So what I'd like to do, and let, let me just sort of put my cards on the table and be frank with you, it, is um, I'm preparing myself for the conference that hopefully all of you who are hearing my voice right now will go to in mid-October. You can go to catholicism.org slash conference to get details on that. I think there's still some space in the hall anyway. Um, so um, what, what, I'm, what I'm doing is I'm preparing myself for my talk by sort of approaching the, the, the subject matter. Obviously, uh, one only has so many hours in the day, so you, you can't be writing about and thinking about and speaking about myriad things, and then you have to give a major talk at an event that you happen to be the host of, and um, you're not prepared for it. So um, I, I tend to do this. I think some of you who are, have been listening for some years and going to our conference probably have picked up on the method to my madness already. But let's start. So I'm, I've, I was researching, doing a little bit of research on this passage um, from St. Augustine's City of God that gives us our quote, which I really encountered. I mean, I read City of God years ago. Um, but I was reading one of the books of Joseph Pieper in recent years, and this phrase leapt out at me because he's quoting St. Augustine, and obviously he's using it for his own purpose in explaining the theological virtue of charity um, and how it is the thing that brings order to all of our other virtues. And um, so it really leapt out at me at that point, 
And I was doing some research on it just today in, in sort of remote preparation for our conference, and I came across a very good article on a website called Educational Renaissance. I'll have a link to it, obviously, from the show details page of reconquest.net. And half the article or so, or maybe a little less than half of it, is a practical application to educators about, uh, of, the, of the subject that he's disclosing here. I'm not going to get into that part, uh, which is is worthwhile for all teachers, I think, to read. Uh, but what I will focus on is only that part of the article that is of direct interest to us understanding this utterance of St. Augustine, virtue is the order of love. So the name of the article is Virtue Formation and Rightly Ordered Loves. It's by Colby Atchison. Colby Atchison, Atchison, sorry, he's, he's the, 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 the font where the, of the article's name and the date is tiny. Um, I mean, yeah, proportionally tiny compared to the rest of it. Anyway, so it's called Virtue Formation and Rightly Ordered Loves. So I'm, I'm hopping in a couple of paragraphs into the article. He says this, in fact, Augustine defines virtue in one of his writings as the possession of rightly ordered loves. If Augustine is correct, then our classical classrooms are incubators not only for the intellect and conscience, but the heart. Or, to put it better, the classroom can be a place where the intellect, conscience, will, heart, and even body can grow into an integrated whole. Okay, I'm going to skip the rest of that stuff that's on education. Okay, the origins of the city. In the city of God against the pagans, or the city of God for short, Augustine offers a defense against pagan accusations that the fall of Rome is the poor result of the empire's conversion to Christianity. This magnificent work, earning its place in the Western canon of great books, is composed of 22 books, the first 10 of which critique paganism, while the final 12 tell the story of the city of God vis-a-vis the earthly city. Augustine begins his account of the city of God with creation and soon after the fall. Following a fascinating discussion on angels, he examines the sinfulness of humanity and how death is the consequence of Adam's sin. Augustine's writing here will serve as the groundwork for the doctrine of original sin, the idea that all humans are born with a fallen nature. Uh, The subheading is a proper response to reality. It is within this context that Augustine discusses beauty. So again, talking about the fall, right? It is within this context that Augustine discusses beauty, the good, and the idea of properly ordered loves. In his explication of the early chapters of Genesis, specifically the Nephilim episode, that's where the 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 um, sons of God saw the the daughters of man that they were beautiful, uh, and then they uh, loved one another, and there were giants in the land, the Nephilim. Long story, many ink, many many ink wells spilt trying to explain this stuff. Um, it's basically the sons of, uh, it's basically the the the. The sons of evil men, the daughters of evil men, taking up with the sons of good men, and the human race got messed up further after this. Um, although there is a theory that it was um, demons impregnating women and creating monsters. Um, 
I think a less common theory among the fathers has it that way. Anyway, let's let's move beyond that. Um, I find I find a disordered fascination with the nephilim to be a mark of a crazy person. Okay, um, so it's after that then that we get this quote for bodily beauty is indeed created by god now of course he's speaking of this in the context of the nephilim episode because of course the sons of men saw the daughters the sons of god saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful right so that's what he's talking about for bodily beauty is indeed created by god but it is a temporal and carnal and therefore a lower good and it is loved, and if it is loved more than God is, that love is as wrong as the miser's when he forsakes justice out of his love of gold. In this quotation, Augustine introduces the idea that within objective goodness, there are various types of individual goods, each of which fall upon falls by the way he's got a grammar mistake here um he falls upon a plane of gradation in other words gradations of goodness and beauty are hardwired into reality this reality okay that's an important takeaway gradations of goodness and beauty are hardwired into reality this reality generates particular moral obligations for human desire Namely, that we ought to love these goods in a way that is commensurate with their value. Considering the example of a miserly obsession with gold, Augustine writes this, quote, The fault lies here, though, lies not with the gold. No, no, the fault here, though, lies not with gold, but with the man. And this is true of every created thing. Though it is good, it can be loved well or ill. Well, when the proper order is observed, and ill when that order is disturbed. Okay, so you see how we're leading up to a, a, a rational understanding of the title of this episode: "Virtue is the order of love." So, if the if if the created thing is loved well, then it's loved in proportion to its actual value. And, and when we say in proportion to its actual value, we're not talking in the case of gold, for instance, of its monetary value. We're talking about in proportion to the entire hierarchy of values, including God himself, who is, of course, our summum bonum, right, our highest good. Continuing on with the author's thought here, considering the example of the miserly obsession with gold, Augustine writes this. Uh, wait, we already did that. Sorry. Virtue as properly ordered loves. Now we get to the real uh, meat and taters of this article as it applies to our subject at hand. Augustine goes on, quote, But if the creator is truly loved, that is, if he himself is loved and not something else in place of him, then he cannot be wrongly loved. We must, however, observe right order, even in our love, of the very love by which we love that which is worthy to be loved, so that there may be in us that virtue which enables us to live well. Hence, it seems to me that a brief and true definition of virtue is rightly ordered love. Now, that's another way to translate um, virtue is the order of love. Virtu est ordo amores. So that's from the City of God, chapter 15, 22, or book 15, chapter 22. 
Book 15, Chapter 22. Augustine makes two important points here, continuing with the author of the article, who again is um, Mr. Atchison, Colby Atchison. Well, must be Miss, because it's Colby. Colby Atchison. Um, Okay. Augustine makes two important points here. First, he points out that in order to love God well, we must love him most, more than anything else. To love God second, third, or behind any other good is to mislove him. Good point, right? So uh, I'm reading what one of my favorite authors wrote a book that I read recently. Uh, this is um, Don Francois de Sapolienne. Um, and one of the chapters, one of his chapters in the book, one of the, I think it might be the first chapter, is God first. And the next chapter is God alone. <laughs> He's talking about what should be our priorities. And if you say, well, God first, I understand that. God alone, I don't understand that because there's other stuff besides God that I ought to love. His point is that in as much as you're loving um, those things rightly, you're loving God in them. So God alone, as well as God first. Um, so uh, secondly, after ordering love for God as uppermost amongst our loves, we must properly order our subsequent loves. This affective work, that is to say work pertaining to the affections, we might call it, will serve as the foundation from which virtues can emerge. If Augustine is correct, then one cannot be truly courageous or just or exhibit any other virtues without some general proper ordering of loves in place. So what what she's saying here is she, um, this Colby Atchison lady, is saying that if St. Augustine is right, then you can't practice the cardinal virtues or any of the moral virtues uh, without a properly ordered love. And that makes sense from a psychological point of view. And when I say psychology, I don't mean Freudian quackery. I mean actual psychology, the philosophical study of man. Um, and, And why does it make sense from a philosophical or a psychological point of view? Well, because, um, the the uh, the 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 concept of uh, of virtue. Um, well, hold on a second. I, I lost my train of thought here. I'm sorry. This is embarrassing. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the man loves. That's a fundamental thing that we do. We we love. We're attracted to things. It, well, we have to know first, and once we know, we have some love, right? We're constantly oriented towards the good, either a true good or a perceived good, right? And in order to uh, attain that good, we have to practice certain virtues. Now, if we're going to if we're going to pursue the true good, the good that we ought to pursue, then we're going to be striving to live a life of virtue. But the motive for being chaste, or being being courageous, or being just, or being temperate, uh, or uh, being prudent, is always going to be so that we're oriented towards the good, isn't it? It's kind of the fundamental presupposition of all virtue that we're ordering ourselves to some good. And love itself orders itself to the good, simply speaking. But all other virtues are ordered to the good under some particular formality. And uh, whether it's by restraining our passions uh, or such like. 
uh, it's always to order us towards some good, either some created good, as in the case of natural virtue, or the the uh, uncreated good that is God Himself. In the case, especially of the theological virtues, right? So, it makes perfect sense that there must be some ordering of loves in us for us, even psychologically, to be. Uh, properly directed towards practicing other virtues, we must, in a sense, we must, to, to, in fine, simply speaking, we must love the good. And if we love the good, then we will pursue a life of virtue, embracing all of the moral virtues as well. So there is the shorthand explanation, the, the the brief version, the executive summary of why it is that. Um, uh, virtue is the order of love because there is a hierarchy of goods with God at the top. Every created thing which is beneath God has to be ordered too in proportion to its actual value. In other words, in proportion to whether it is a real good and how valuable it is as a good in relation to God, in relation to our final end. There's a whole branch of of, um, philosophy that studies this. The Greeks call it axiology, the study of value, the value of things. And again, we're not talking materialist economics here. We're talking about the value of things in the hierarchy of goods. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie, and we're talking about virtue as the order of love. This is episode number 391. Now, there's another saying of St. Augustine that's probably much more well-known than this utterance, virtue is the order of love. And yes, I will keep repeating it um, because, you know, repetitus mater studiorum and all that. Repetition is the mother of learning, in case you haven't heard that before. So I found another article um, while I was doing some research here by a gentleman named Randall Smith, and it's called Love as a Virtue, and it's at the website called The Catholic Thing. And um, he's talking about a very well-known passage from St. Augustine. It's um, uh, the the, the quote is, um, love and do what you will, love and do as you will. So we'll talk about that a little bit here with the help of Mr. Smith. Um, Yeah, so he starts the article this way. We love because God has loved us first. That's a quote. So we read in 1 John 4, 19. In an article a few weeks back, I suggested that we should learn love from that we should learn from Saint Thomas Aquinas that love can be both a passion and a virtue. In the modern world, we tend to think of love only as an emotion, something we fall into, something that happens to us. And by the way, that's what an emotion is, or a passion. It's something we undergo. Uh, an em- emotion comes from the same Greek word that gives us motion. So we're moved by something else. The passions, strictly considered, aren't powers. Uh, the irascible faculty is a power. The concupiscible faculty is a power. But the passions aren't powers because they get moved by them. We are moved by them. We don't move. We're, it's not a power. It's a passion. It's 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 something we undergo, not something we do. Right. So. Um, we fall in love. The implication there isn't I actively with my will and pursuing this good. 
the implication there is that I've been smitten. I mean, the, the very language of love poetry, love songs, country songs, whatever, um, is, you know, that, you know, you should have been slapped across the face. You know, you've, you've been, you, you've, uh, an outside stimulus has affected you deeply and you are moved by it, right? So that's not the virtue, that's the passion. In the modern world, we tend to think of love only as an emotion, something we fall into, something that happens to us. In other words, we're passive, right? Not active. There is certainly love of this sort, love that we feel and sometimes feel very strongly. But it's important to realize that this love is not only the is not the only kind of love. There is also love as a virtue. When love becomes not merely a feeling we have, but a settled disposition to do good for others, a disposition to be self-sacrificing, compassionate, and just. There is perhaps no more misused phrase from the writings of St. Augustine than the saying, love and do what you will. That's the quote, quote, love and do what you will, end quote. Many people imagine that this means love and do whatever you want, or if you do something with love, then whatever it is, it's okay. Um, like the song, you know, um, what is it? Uh, 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 it? It can't be wrong if it feels so right. Um, oh, I think it's the song, You Light Up My Life. Which, um, yeah, it's a catchy melody, but it's a piece of trash when you think of the of the moral lessons that it conveys. It can't be wrong if it feels so right. I mean, yeah, that could be like the anthem of everyone in hell. The truth, however, is that the sentence, love and do what you will, comes from St. Augustine's homily number seven on the first epistle of John, a homily that covers all of 1 John 4, 4 to 12, including the verse, we love because God has loved us first. I hate to keep pounding out errors in my source material here, but um, 1 John 4, 4 to 12 does not include verse 19, which is the verse that he's quoting. Uh, I don't know. It must be a typo. According to Augustine, because God is love, when we love truly and selflessly, we love with God's own love. He, now, think of that, right? If we love, when we love truly and selflessly, we love with God's own love. Well, he loves us first, right? So we have to be recipient f- first. We have to be recipients first. We have to receive, and then we can give, right? Um, Don François Paulien puts it this way. Um, we have to be uh, receptive. We have to be open. And then we have to be active. Um, he says that we have to be, mm, how does he put it? Um, receptive and then virulent. Uh, we have to exercise virtue actively, but only after we have received. So we have to be receptive. And by the way, the virtue of humility is very important because as I was explaining to my high school students, this very day, um, covering the material in the book, the virtue of, of humility is so foundational because pride with what do we say about proud people oh he's so full of himself right isn't that a common expression for the proud person he's so full of himself you're so full of yourself um when we're proud we're full of ourselves well guess what if you're full you can't fit anything else i i i I used one of my students today a young boy who sits in the front row i won't tell you his name because i don't want to violate the poor kid's privacy but uh, he's a freshman so he's an easy target and um I asked him if he likes Doritos, and he said yes. So I told a story about this this young man going home 
and um, you know, his dinner time's like at six o'clock and it's four thirty and he's got the munchies and he sees a bag of Doritos and he eats the whole bag. Because, you know, you can't just eat one, right? So he eats the whole bag. Well dinner time comes around and because he's all carved up, hyped up on on Doritos, he doesn't have room for the you know, the the, the wholesome meat and the healthy vegetables and everything else that mom's prepared for dinner because he's full of Doritos. Now, as the young man himself pointed out, he could probably do both, but and he is a growing boy, so I, I believe it. But um, then I then I chose one of the girls in the class who's very svelte and said, but she couldn't. If she ate the whole bag of Doritos, she couldn't do uh, eat all the wonderful, wholesome, healthy, delicious things that mom prepared for dinner because she's full. When you're full of something else, especially something bad, right, you can't put the good things in. So there's no room for God when we're full of ourselves. And that's really why pride is, pride is so stupid because we fill ourselves up with ourselves and with our own self-love and we don't have room and i say when i say self-love i mean disordered self-love yes the gospel actually commands us to love ourselves but it's got to be again what's the word ordered right it's got to be an ordered self-love disordered self-love you know takes up too much space it's 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 very it's very um it's very fat all right it it, it fills us up and it's kind of like you know the doritos some some super carby garbage junk food that doesn't allow the good stuff to go in there and in this case was the good stuff the good stuff is uh the love of god so uh, according to augustine because god is love when we love truly and selflessly we love with god's own love again we've received now we can give right we receive love now we can give love He allows us to participate in the same spirit of love that exists eternally between the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. He gives us what Thomas Aquinas calls the new law, the law of grace, which is charity spread abroad in our hearts, the quote from Romans 5, 5. With the new law is the fulfillment of God's promise in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Sorry, I, uh, I, I, uh, I, my trackpad went nuts. Um, <laughs> give you a heart of flesh. Where did the heart of flesh go? Uh, oh, here we go. I, I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. End quote. The author continues, but notice the last part of that verse. Love does not revoke the law. Love helps us to fulfill the law freely. Love enables us to do God's will, not merely what our own lusts and passions press us to do. Love as a passion might tempt me to commit adultery. And yet, when love is a virtue, when my love is formed by God's grace and not my own willfulness, then I am moved by a love that is selfless, as was Christ's love for us. Then I do not mistake my passion to possess a woman as a justification for doing something I ought not to do. When love is a virtue, it requires discipline. It requires us to cooperate with God's grace. And so, shortly after, Augustine makes that famous comment, love and do as you will. 
He warns his congregation. So after he says that, he's, he, he warns his congregation that they should not imagine love to be an abject or sluggish thing or that it can be preserved by any sort of tameness and listlessness. So here's a quote, uh, a paragraph, one, one juicy paragraph from St. Augustine. Do not imagine, he says, that you love your servant when you beat him, or that you love your son when you do not discipline him, or that you love neighbor when you do not rebuke him. This is not charity, but mere feebleness. Let charity be fervent to correct, to amend. Love not in the man his error, but the man. For God made the man, the error the man himself made. Love that which God made, love not that which the man himself made. When you love the man God made, take away the sin the man made. When you esteem God, amend the man. This is typical, typical Augustinian wordplay, and I love it. Um, it's just beautiful. Continuing. The dove that descend, descended upon—this is the, the author speaking here. By the way, there's a problem with this article because he's got this paragraph that's obviously a quote and it's not set off in quotes. The dove that descended upon the Lord at his baptism signified charity, says Augustine, quote, because although the dove has no bitterness, yet with beak and wings she fights for her young. Hers is a fierceness without bitterness. End quote from St. Augustine. Anyone who has seen a mother protect her child from strangers will understand that phrase. We do not see the fierceness of love in the modern understanding of love and do what you will. That is, love and go with the flow. That is love as self-justification for what I want. Okay, so there's more to the article than that, but I think uh, Mr. Smith has um, helped us out uh, here, and we don't need to um, quote from him any further. So, just to sort of recapitulate here, we we find that virtue as the order of virtue is the order of love. That it's it's the again, love is a queen, right? Love is the queen of all the virtues. In in the cardinal virtues alone, prudence is the chief. Prudence, if prudence is the chief of the cardinal virtues, then the queen of all the cardinal virtues, then she's the queen of all the moral virtues. Even though she herself is not a moral virtue, technically prudence is an intellectual virtue. But prudence is is above all the virtues. But above prudence, once you introduce the theological virtues, you've got something of a higher order, something directed di- directly um, oriented towards God himself as it's as their end. The moral virtues orient us towards creatures directly and only indirectly towards our final end by helping us, by helping to regulate our our interaction with creatures, whether it's our fellow rational creatures, other fellow humans, or created things such as food or drink or money or whatever. Um Anything, any, any, any article that to, towards which we must behave virtuously, right? So, um, to recapitulate, then the, the charity is the queen of all the virtues. She commands all of them. She's higher than all of them, and she puts them all in the proper 
order. Charity is sort of an executive virtue. She is the executive virtue. She's the commander. She's the queen. She's the the uh, the, the emperor, right? An imperator was originally a um, a military title, actually, before it became a civic uh, uh, title of the executive of the state. So there you go. That's that's what um, virtue as the order of love means. Now, when we when we then go further and look at consider love as the, the virtue that um, helps to regulate our, our, our other loves. We get that m- mysterious sentence, love and do what you will. What is St. Augustine getting at? If you love rightly, if your love is properly ordered, if the love itself is properly ordered, then what you will will be rightly ordered. Okay, so these two things that St. Augustine said in two different works, one in The City of God, which is sort of his, one of his two great masterpieces. If anybody's ever read two books by St. Augustine, most likely it's going to be The Confessions and then The City of God. These are his two, I think, greatest works or the the most popular, most well-known works. But then from one of his sermons, we get this even more popular quote, single quote of St. Augustine, love and do what you will. They are both of a piece because for St. Augustine, love is an ordering virtue. There's that intrinsic a hierarchy of loves. And if we do love rightly, if we have that ordered virtue, which is love, then what we will will be rightly ordered and will therefore be virtuous and therefore good. Now, th- th- what I'm, I'm shifting gears a little bit now with 22 minutes to go, and I'm going to say that you know if we ascend up from man uh, and to the to the whole cosmos, the created order of things, we see that what's in man by way of this ordering of love fits into something with the cosmos. The cosmos as created, and we know that. Man himself is a microcosm, as many of the Eastern Fathers especially said. Man is a microcosm of the universe. What the universe is writ large, each man is individually. Writ small, you might say. So we're, we're part um, animal, vegetable, and mineral, uh, as an angel, and God, okay, because there's there is the, there, we're creating the image and likeness of God. So we are we in uh, in man is a sampling of everything in the universe. In a way, no other creature is, and you can't say that of angels because they're not material. You can't say that of animals because they lack the perfections of man, of intellect and will, by which we are made in God's image and likeness, right? So, and and I pretty much ruled out everything else by by talking about what was immediately over us in the hierarchy, namely the angels, and what's immediately beneath us in the hierarchy, namely the beasts or the brute animals, which, you know, we participate in their nature. We, we, we are rational animals, um, some of us more than others, I suppose. Um so the uh, now I want to consider the cosmos itself, and um, I'm going to give a quote from Dante. Which, if anybody's heard one quote from Dante, this is probably it. No, actually, the one quote you would have heard is "Abandon hope, all you who enter here." Right, written on the gates of hell. Uh, but the last verse of Paradiso, Paradiso uh, 33, there's that passage which in the medieval Italian of 
Dante. The la- very last verse is uh, L'amor che muove il sole e altre stelle. The love which moves the sun and the other stars. So, backing up a little bit um, to uh, the, the verses ahead of it, uh, this is how it ends in English. Here my exalted vision lost its power. But now my will and my desire, like wheels revolving, with an even motion, were turning with the love, capital L, the love that moves the sun and all the other stars. It's so beautiful in Italian, even if you don't know it. Italian is such a beautiful language. It's like opera, even without the music. L'amor che muove il sole e altre stelle. Um, so, that love that moves the sun and the other stars, that's how Dante is describing God here. He is that love which moves the sun and the other stars. So if you think of the entire cosmos as a moving thing, as a dynamic thing, a thing set in motion by the love of God and us being taken up into that motion so as to go from the cosmos itself into the, into the mover, into God himself, we're entering into the love of God. That's the idea that he's he's conveying here is this whole thing's been set in motion to it's sort of a vortex to bring us up to him. Okay, actually, I don't know if the vortex figure was Dante's, but um, this is me sort of riffing on it. But God's love as being the mover that moves the entire universe, this is not some sort of mere mm, platonic look at God. You know, God isn't just the uncaused cause. He's not just the unmoved mover, which, yes, St. Thomas used that. But St. Thomas, by the way, was read by Dante. Dante was a disciple of St. Augustine and St. Thomas. People have said in a, in a, in a, in a um, almost obscene oversimplification that Dante's Divine Comedy is the Summa Theologiae set to poetry. And, and, you know, in as much as it is an extremely exaggerated statement, there is a truth in it that, that can be gotten at. And St. Thomas would definitely not have a problem with this description of God as the love that moves the sun and the other stars. God, God is love. That's from St. John. That's not some sentimental claptrap from some, you know, Nova Sordo 1970s guitar music from the Nova Sordo. Not at all. Um, God is love. Uh, and from that love, which by a motion of the love of God, c- creation happened. And everything that happens in the universe is something that continues that motion of God's love. So the fact that v- virtue in us is ordered love makes sense because it resonates with the very foundations of the world, to quote our Lord, the way that the earth was created, the way everything was created, the, 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 the sun and the other stars, everything in the cosmos was put in motion by God's love. And that's the ultimate destiny as, Saint, as Dante finishes the, the divine comedy with this last verse of Canto 33 uh, of the Paradiso and where Dante has entered into the beatific vision, um, where he's entered into that love which moved the sun and all the other stars, right? So uh, the, it, it makes sense that 
virtue as ordered love and, you know, love and do what you will is an expression of man at his best. And it's it's an expression of the perfection of man. Remember, virtue perfects the man. That's the point of virtue. It perfects us. And to perfect something is to finish it, to complete it, uh, to make it more perfect, which is literally to say finished or finished through to make the, uh, to use the proper etymology of the word. Um, All right, so we go from there to God himself. So if... (laughs) If God's creation of the cosmos was a motion of his love, how does it correspond to something in God himself? Well, let's get back to what love is in us. Theological love, charity. It's poured forth in our hearts, St. Paul says in Romans 5, 5, by the Holy Ghost which is given to us. Charity is poured forth in our hearts. By the way, poured forth, literally, the word for that, one word, is infused. Um, infused in Latin, infusum, literally means poured forth uh, or poured out or poured into. Huh? Uh, the love of God is poured forth in our souls, St. Paul says, by the Holy Ghost who is given to us. So the Holy Ghost is given to us. He is substantial love. So now we, we go up to the subject we were talking about for th- three shows back to back recently uh, on the inner life of the Trinity, right? We talked about the Trini- Trinity ad intra and the Trinity ad extra, the um, intrinsic Trinity and the economic Trinity. So if the economic Trinity is the Trinity working in creation, working in perfecting man, working to make the whole cosmos itself, you know, the love which moves the sun and the other stars, uh, if if that's the Trinity ad extra, what about the Trinity ad intra? What is it about love being the queen of all the virtues, that ordering virtue that reflects something of the very inner life of God? Well, if we think of God the Father as representing being, and we think of God the Son as representing thought, because he's the Logos, Right? then it makes sense that uh, the Holy Ghost, who is the love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father, they too, they too, the Father and the Son, spirate the Holy Ghost as one principle. They, Father and Son, as one principle, proceed forth the Holy Ghost. He is uncreated charity. The Holy Ghost is uncreated charity. So the Father is being, the Son is knowing, the Holy Ghost is loving. Therefore, when charity is, in, is poured forth in our hearts by the Holy Ghost who is given to us, that's no accident. There's a correspondence between the uncreated love, which is the Holy Ghost, the love in the Trinity, hmm? love as a person, hypostatic love, you might say. There's a correspondence between that and the love that he elicits in our hearts and and infuses into our hearts, which is created charity, which is the theological virtue of charity, by which we love God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and by which also we love our neighbor as ourselves for the love of God. So, uh, we've talked about man, we've talked about the cosmology, now we're talking a little bit about the inner life of God. So I wrote a piece um, a couple of years ago, 2019, called You Cannot Love Rightly Without Logos. 
Um, and I, uh, I was at the time reading E. Michael Jones's wonderful book um, uh, on logos. Uh, and what, so what I'm going to do is quote from part of that because at the time I was thinking about these things and I uh, took great care to, 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 to make these words precise. Okay, so uh, I'm not reading the whole thing. That would be too much. As the Greek philosophical tradition understood the word logos, it is layered with many interrelated meanings. It can mean word, reason, plan, utterance, speech, logic, explanation, rationale, argument, opinion, proportion, discourse, account, and the ordering principle in the universe. In Stoic thought, the generative principle of the cosmos itself. When St. John told the Greco-Roman world that in the beginning was the Logos, his readers learned of the supernatural message of the gospel in terms of this rich philosophical patrimony. Moreover, in 14 sublime verses, St. John authoritatively expurgated that tradition of its errors. I'm talking about the Obviously, the the, um, the beginning of St. John's Gospel, the first, first 14 verses. Moreover, <clears throat> the, okay, those who accepted the message understood that this logos, this ordering principle of the universe, is not the Platonic demiurge or the Stoic seminal reason, the logos spermatikos, in case you want the Greek, or the Platonic word world soul, that is the anima mundi. By the way, there are modern pantheists who believe in this nonsense, the anima mundi, the soul of the world. But is it a divine person? So the logos is a divine person. By the way, th- those other things that I listed, these are things that people thought the logos were. But a divine person, distinct from God the Father, and also co-equal to him, as one who is at once with God and himself God. So St. John says he's with God and he's God. Back to the question, how can we love rightly? By acknowledging that we were made by the Logos and were therefore created to be ordered, rational, and living in conformity to a larger plan. This suggests to us that we live according to that other great Greek ideal, Sophia, or wisdom, which is ordered knowledge. We therefore should avoid grasping at every passing good that offers itself illicitly or illicitly to our senses, but must instead take hold of the true good, those goods, namely, which will lead us to the end for which we were made. The Logos himself, being a divine person and the great lawgiver of the New Testament, reveals this to us, um, reveals to us, rather, this divine rationale for achieving our true good. Therefore, our love ought to be regulated, controlled, and disciplined according to Logos. Far from being limited or constraining, such conformity is rather elevating and dilating, and it makes perfect sense to us. Why? Because our minds were created by a mind through his creative logos. We were made to know. Moreover, we were made to know in an orderly way, to see the order of the grand schema in creation, if only in bits and pieces. Because our minds have this impress of the divine mind upon them, they see the order in creation placed there by that mind through his logos, right? Through the second person. Excuse me, a little water break here. When the logos comes in the flesh to give us a higher law transcending even the law of nature, 
we can understand that this higher law of grace perfects our nature so that we might achieve a supernatural end. At the center of this new law is the remarkably demanding twofold precept of charity, impossible for men to observe without the grace of the Holy Ghost. Now let's look at the question the other way around, top to bottom instead of bottom to top. In eternity, the Logos is so-called because he is the perfectly adequate self-understanding of the Father. This is how he is generated by the Father, as his substantial thought. In explaining the Trinitarian processions, St. Thomas makes the two names, Son and Logos, to be perfectly synonymous. We can illustrate his point with our English verb, conceive. A lady who is pregnant is said to have conceived a child. When the thought enters my mind, I am said to have conceived an idea. These two senses of the word meet in that eternal conception that is the Father's begetting of his word, at once a thought and an offspring. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. But if the generation of the Son is a divine conception, a supereminently cognitive act, where in the inner life of God is the volitional act of loving? That would be found in the second procession that occurs in eternity, the spiration of the Holy Ghost from the Father and the Son. The Father and His only begotten behold each other and love each other perfectly, and that love proceeding from both as from one principle is itself a person. Now, you can say, as the Greek fathers did, that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father through the Son. That is totally orthodox. Uh, St. Thomas accepts it. Um, the Church herself accepts this. But it doesn't contradict the Filioque, that, that, that the Holy Ghost proceeds from the Father and the Son. St. Thomas concludes that love is the proper name of the third person and that it is by him that the first and second persons love one another. In terms of the third person's relationship with us, the angelic doctor also says that gift is his proper name. So, love is his proper name, and gift is his proper name, but gift is what he is towards us. That makes perfect sense, doesn't he? If he's, if he's love in eternity, vis-a-vis us, he's gift, because what does love do? It gives gifts. Huh? So, even in the very inner life of God, Logos precedes charity. Being is first the Father, then knowing the Son, then loving the Holy Ghost. To be sure, we are speaking of an eternal reality. The three divine persons are co-eternal as well as co-equal. It strikes me as most significant that the same evangelist who gives us the very deep meditation on the Logos of God in the prologue of his gospel also writes so sublimely of the charity of God in his epistles, especially in 1 John 4. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That's where we started this program. (laughs) Because um, 1 John 4 um, is is where the quote comes from, Um, that um, love and do as you will. Hmm? Love and do as you will. So St. John's meditation on charity is what inspired St. Augustine to say, love and do as you will. Not to say, as long as you're a loving person, like you can do whatever you want, dude. That's not the idea. It's not hippy-dippy sage advice. It's if, you, if the love of God animates you, if the love of God orders all of your other loves, then what you will will be good. 
Your passions might still be disordered, and your will is going to have to slap them in the line. But if you what you what you will is going to be good because it's it's the divine love that's uh, animating your your will, the faculty of your will. So as I say, um, it's most significant that the same evangelist who tells us all about the logos tells us all about uh, charity, especially in that passage one John four. And I say when I say one John, I don't mean one John one. I don't mean the Gospel of Saint John chapter one. I mean one John, the first epistle of Saint John chapter four. In his commentary on Galatians, Saint Jerome tells us that towards the end of his life. All St. John told his disciples in Ephesus was, quote, little children love one another, end quote, explaining to a perplexed disciple that he insisted on this so much because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. So St. John was saying over and over again, uh, little children love one another, and somebody finally said to him, uh, you know, um, Father John, why are you why are you saying that, or whatever they exactly would have called him? Why are you saying this? Why do you keep repeating this over and over again? And his answer was, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. End quote. So, um, and and you know, this is not the Beatles' theology, right? This isn't all you need is love. Their concept of love isn't theological love. Theological love presupposes faith and charity. Theological love doesn't exist without faith. I mean, theological love presupposes faith and hope. It doesn't exist without faith and hope. And it doesn't exist without sanctifying grace. So we're talking about theological love here. We're not talking about the emotion of love, which is what the Beatles were singing the praises of. Probably lust, really. What these ideas from that deepest of all the evangelists suggest to me is that you cannot be steeped in the love of God without first being steeped in the supernatural metaphysical order and truth of the Logos. In other words, you cannot love rightly without Logos. And by the way, that's the name of the piece here. You cannot rightly love without Logos. I entitled it. So the the idea here is, you know, as faith precedes charity, which I just said, Logos in the Trinity precedes the procession of love, right? The procession of filiation, which gives us the logos, um, precedes the, the the procession of charity, of love, which gives us the third person, the Holy Ghost. So there's something in there that course there's a, something in there that corresponds to us. That is that unless we have logos to order uh, everything in us, we cannot rightly love. And I can add this thought: Saint Thomas calls the will. A blind faculty um, because the will has to grasp the good that the intellect knows the will is the appetite of the intellect but it itself doesn't know it's blind and therefore uh, for instance St. Augustine says I cannot love that which I do not know so love is is preceded by knowledge knowledge first then love of course, being has to presuppose that. That's where we have Father, Being, Son, Knowledge, or Logos, and Holy Ghost, Love, right? Um, that's the order. So, uh, as faith has to come before charity, it's a necessary prelude to charity, or a necessary foundation, not a prelude, but a foundation. Um, so, too, 
uh, the procession of the third person can only take place after the second procession of the second person. And when I say after, I don't mean in time, right? We're talking about something that's an eternal thing. So hopefully I haven't complicated everything so that I've made it so that you can't possibly understand uh, what it means uh, when we say that virtue is the order of love. Uh, it corresponds to a, a reality that's in the cosmos as it was created, and it corresponds to a reality that is eternal in God himself. You've been listening to the Reconquest on the Crusade Premium channel. God bless and may I keep you.